next week is a very important week uh, in the life of our church, and so uh, please, please make plans to be here. It's going to be a Vision Sunday for us, and I'm going to be talking about uh, something that you are called to do and be a part of. Every single one of you, if you're a follower of Christ, then we're going to be talking about your calling. And so please come out to be a part of that. In fact, it's so important. I want you to go ahead and look at your neighbor. Go ahead and turn to him. Look at your neighbor and just say, see you next week. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Now look back at him. Look back at him and mean it this time. Okay. Just <laughs> see you next week. You know, you better be here. Oh, me. Well, we are in part four of our series entitled Finding Forgiveness. And as we've gone through these last few weeks, we've started off every Sunday the same way, and that is admitting that every one of us have been betrayed. You have been betrayed in some way by somebody at some point in your life. Someone along the way hurt you. They didn't keep a promise. They broke trust. And we've all experienced that in one way or another. Some of us have experienced it in a million small ways. Some of us have experienced it in a few really big ways. And if we're ever going to find forgiveness, if we're going to have the ability to forgive those who have hurt us, then there are some decisions we have to make. On week one, the first decision that we looked at was, when I've been betrayed, I can choose to allow myself to grieve, to make sure that I grieve in a healthy way. And we talked about what that means. And then in week two, we talked about when I've been betrayed, I can choose to have an honest and healing conversation. When you've been hurt, it has to lead to some kind of conversation. Maybe that is with a person who hurts you. Most offenses can be taken care of that way. But there are times when it's not safe for you to talk to that person, or maybe they're no longer here. But when we've been hurt, it must lead to a healing conversation in our life. Week three, we talked about when I've been betrayed, I can choose to look for the redeeming work of God in our life, that I can look back through my life and I want to see not just what the evil hands and evil hearts have done to me, but I want to see how God's hand was moving. Today, I want to talk to you about betrayal decision number four. And betrayal decision number four is when I've been betrayed, I can choose to give forgiveness and seek reconciliation. I can choose to give forgiveness and seek reconciliation. You see, forgiveness is something that we give. Reconciliation is something that we seek. And the reason that is the case is because one person can forgive. You can forgive someone else. But it takes two people for reconciliation to take place. Think of it this way. Forgiveness is an inward discipline. But reconciliation is an outward process. And again, it involves at least two, if not more, people for reconciliation to take place. I want to start with forgiveness. Whenever we think about forgiveness, what we have to understand is that forgiveness happens between the person who has been hurt and God, and then it is extended to the person who has offended you, who has hurt you, who has betrayed you. And listen, we all need to admit and just be honest with ourselves and say, forgiveness is not easy. It is not easy. And forgiveness does not come naturally to us. In the fallen world that we live in, revenge comes naturally, but not giving forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is a supernatural act. It is something that God does in us and God does through us. Now, the word forgiveness itself is mentioned 105 times in Scripture, which means that this topic of forgiveness is pretty important to God. 
And again, forgiving is hard. But over and over, the message of the Bible is simply this. It is with God's help, I can forgive anyone of anything. With God's help, I can forgive anyone of anything. Now, you may not believe me right now. You may say, there's no way I'm ever going to forgive that person who did that thing in my life. But I'm telling you, with God's help, you can forgive. And you can be set free in that forgiveness. Forgiveness, like I said, is a spiritual act, which means ultimately I rely on God's grace in order to do it. And I need his grace in order to give forgiveness to other people. And remember, grace by definition is giving someone something that they did not earn or they do not deserve. That is the grace of God at work in our life. You have to remember that God has given us something we did not earn, salvation, and we did not deserve it. But he gave it anyway. He gave it anyway. And the key to being a person of forgiveness is, number one, to be forgiven. And then number two, to understand just how much you've been forgiven. Please hear me. If you're going to be a person of forgiveness, you have to, number one, be forgiven by God. And then number two, understand just how much you have been forgiven by God. So many times we lose sight of this, don't we? So many times we begin to think more of ourselves than we really should. And, and sometimes we, you ever met somebody, they just go around life and it's just like they're trying to collect grudges. They're trying to collect bitterness. And, and you know, they would never just put it in those terms, but it's like every single offense that's ever happened in their life, they just write people off and write people off and write people off. My friends, we have to understand what it means to be a Christian. C.S. Lewis put it this way on the screen. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Why? Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We have to remember just how much we've been forgiven. Every single sin that you've repented of. The big ones, the small ones, all of it. A lifetime of sin that's been built up against you, all forgiven. And what God calls us to then is to give what we have received. To extend to others the same grace and forgiveness that we ourselves have received. Now, the question is, where did C.S. Lewis get this idea? Did he just make that up? No. I think he got it from the Apostle Paul. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Notice what that verse tells us. Number one, it tells us what we are called to be. Be kind and compassionate to one another. How can I do that? Forgive each other. Why would I do that? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now that sounds really good. The question is, where did Paul get that? Was he just sitting around in the first century thinking about the church in Ephesus and just come up with this on his own? I don't think so. I think Paul got it from Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, one of the lines is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Luke eleven four. 4. Notice that. Lord, would you forgive us our sins as at the same time we are forgiving others who have sinned against us. Now, this was such an important topic for Jesus that in Matthew's gospel, after he taught the model prayer, 
the Lord's Prayer. And he could have said anything after that prayer. But here's what he focused in on. After teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Notice verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, we like to say, we're, we're people of the book. We, we, we believe the Bible. We take it literally. We say all kinds of statements like that. The question is, do you take it literally right now? If you do not forgive other people of their sins against you, your Heavenly Father won't forgive your sins. Just let that sit for a while. One of the things that Jesus is communicating here, several things, but one of the things he's communicating here is that there is no such thing, please hear me, there is no such thing as justified unforgiveness in the new covenant. No such thing. In fact, withholding forgiveness, according to Jesus, is a sin for us. It's as if Jesus is saying here, if you want to know if you're a person who's been freed and forgiven, then you will be a person who will be able to give what you have received. You want to be a person who can live this kind of life that the Lord's Prayer describes? Well, then you're going to be a person who can forgive other people. But so many times we want to hang on to it. And so many times we want to do some kind of mental gymnastics and we want to think that verses like this don't apply to me. I'm the exception to the rule. I'm sorry, my friends. You are not. You are not. So all the bitterness... All the anger that you are holding on to, you're going to have to deal with it. Peter tried to do this. He went to Jesus one day in Matthew 18 and says, Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he gives a suggestion, up to seven times. Now, the rabbis of the day, they would teach people that you would forgive somebody three times and any more than that would be excessive. So after you forgive someone three times, then you just write them off. You have nothing to do with them. You know, separate from them. So Peter more than doubles that. He comes up to Jesus. Shall I forgive them seven times? And Jesus goes, <laughs> not even close. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Peter's jaw drops in that moment. See, Jesus is not wanting them or us to live by the limited terms of the law, but by the unlimited grace of God. So many times we, are, we ask God for the minimum, don't we? What is the minimum I have to do and still be a Christian? What is the minimum I have to pray? What is the minimum I have to go to worship? What is the minimum I have to give? What is the minimum I have to serve? What is the minimum I have to forgive? But my friends, Jesus didn't die so you could live in a world of minimums. While we want to know what the minimum is that we are called to do, at the same time, we demand the unlimited grace of God for ourselves, don't we? And Jesus says, no, it's not how it works. I don't want you to live with a minimum or limited mindset. 
I want you to live with a mindset of abundance and unlimited grace in your life. But not just grace to you, but also grace through you. Now, you may say, well, Chris, if I live this kind of life, I'm just going to be a pushover my whole life. I just, just have to walk around and forgive everybody of everything they do to me. No, that's not it. Let me give you three myths about forgiveness real quick. Three myths about forgiveness. Number one is that we are to forgive and forget, meaning just do it instantly. Just forgive them and forget it and just kind of move on as quickly as you can. Now, listen, God can heal unforgiveness instantly, but normally it takes a process that we go through to get us to that point. And so just because you can't just forgive and forget instantly and all of a sudden everything is gone from your mind and all the memories and everything, don't beat yourself up. That's a myth. That's a myth. But yes, God can bring healing. God can bring deep healing to our minds where all of a sudden we find ourselves not living and dwelling on the details. It's as if God can, in some ways, give us a heavenly amnesia. Healing can happen. But it doesn't mean it always just happens right when we say it needs to happen. Myth number two is that forgiveness means I do not seek justice. That's not true. Forgiveness is not relieving a person of their responsibility or making them responsible for their actions. What forgiveness is, is leaving that justice to God. That's why Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What forgiveness means is that I'm trusting God for justice, and I'm not going to take it into my own hands. So many times when someone has hurt us, we want them to be punished, and then we get impatient, so we want to be the one to punish them now. But we have to trust God and let him take care of that in his timing. Myth number three is that it's a one-time thing. So many times we just think, well, if I forgive, it's just a one-time thing that happens in my life. When Jesus looks at Peter and his other disciples and says, no, you're to forgive up to 77 times, one of the things that he's saying is that this is an ongoing thing. That yes, there could be a point in time in which you forgive someone and, and truly forgive, and all of a sudden all the burdens that you've been carried have been, will be lifted away, but then also... Every day you have to choose not to pick back up that bitterness. Every day. Say, nope, I have forgiven them. I'm not going there again. Now that's three myths about forgiveness. Let me give you three facts about forgiveness. When you've really forgiven someone, forgiveness is saying, I am no longer going to let what you did be a controlling variable in my life. No more. See, the betrayal of the past does not have to control your actions in the present. But people who cannot forgive, people who cannot forgive others are controlled by them. But when you've really forgiven, then those people who have hurt you, they no longer have control over your life. Fact number two is that forgiveness is acknowledging the pain you suffered, yes. But it's not letting the pain define you. Don't let the pain define you. That does not have to be the defining factor in your life. And when you forgive other people, you really, you release yourself from that pain. And no longer do you have to identify with the pain of your past, but you can identify with the redemptive outcomes and the healing that God brings in your life. Many of you know my story. I was adopted in 1996 by my dad. My biological dad did a lot of things that were just not really good. And I could have identified my life as, well, I'm Chris the Abandoned. But that's not who I am. I'm not Chris the Abandoned. I'm Chris the Adopted. 
That's the redemptive outcome in my life. And we have to get to that place where we really and truly give forgiveness so that we don't build our identity on the pain of our past, but on who we are in Christ today. Are y'all awake? Okay. Y'all awake in the balcony? Okay. Fact number three is that forgiveness is a command. Forgiveness is a command. A command is something from God that is good for you and that is possible for you to do with his help. Jesus commands forgiveness. And again, in so doing, when we forgive, we get released from the fear, the anxiety, the pain of what someone else has done to us. And yes, we're acknowledging what happened, but we're also proclaiming in that moment that what happened no longer has a hold on me. Because when you forgive the person who hurt you, you are releasing yourself from that bondage. Now, some of you are sitting here going, there's no way I could ever do that. And I want to say, yes, you can. And this morning, I'd like you to hear a testimony about the power of forgiveness. Would you welcome longtime member and my friend Jimmy Poole to the platform? Forgiving someone who has hurt you is really, really hard. But not forgiving someone who has hurt you is drinking the poison that fills your soul and separates you from God. My story is a journey from obedience to forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I share it with you today as it's my hope that it will be a road you can take if you have the need to forgive someone. Following that road has been one of the greatest blessings and lessons to my life. In early 1984, I was in the Air Force stationed in Washington, D.C., and I was blindsided when my wife of 20 years said, I don't want to be married to you anymore, and I want to marry someone else. We were parents of an 18-year-old and 16-year-old son, sons, an 11-year-old daughter. And my Air Force career had been very exciting, and to me, the sky was the limit. But overnight, things changed dramatically. Sandy wanted freedom. She wanted to be totally unencumbered. And she didn't argue with me, fortunately, about having custody of the children, and I got 100% custody. But I had to change my Air Force career plans because you can't be a parent of three children at home every night if you have to travel, if you have to work nights. And I needed to find a location where I could, could take care of the children and still fulfill my commitment to the Air Force. I'm an Alabama native in Montgomery and Maxwell turned out to be the place that I could go to to survive and to thrive. And I moved to Montgomery in 1984. Upon my arrival, my next door neighbor, we lived in big houses out there on, the, on Maxwell, my next door neighbor came over and said, uh, when is your wife coming? <laughs> and I started crying. 
You know, colonels and fighter pilots don't cry like that, but I did. And immediately she said, well, I know what, I know what we're going to do. You're going to come to Frazier, and you're going to have a chance to visit the adult singles class. Well, I followed up on that, and I visited Frazier, and I went to what was called primetime singles at the time. Uh, I didn't like the term. <laughs> um, there were about 300, over 300 people in that ministry. I arrived there one Sunday morning, and the pain in the room, about 250 in present in that time, about, uh, there was pain and there was anxiousness, but there was also a sense of unity and a sense of hope. I was sad. I was emotionally damaged. I really felt unworthy. But the warmth of that Fraser community and with support from my Air Force Academy classmates and friends and wives who called me almost every day telling me they loved me, helped me get through some really hard times. And with the, with the help of friends, and Chris preached about this in, this, I think it was his second sermon on forgiveness, about interdependence. I became convinced that I must forgive Sandy. She never asked for it. From a human perspective, she did not deserve it. And she did not care what I thought. Through support groups and Bible studies in the Montgomery area, I came to the realization that I had to forgive her regardless of how I felt or how she acted. One Friday, I had a day off. I, I said, I'm going to pray all day and fast all day and try to forgive her. I did that, and about 6 o'clock that night, I thought I was ready to forgive her. Now, you may find these next words humorous. Some of you may find them irreverent, but they were, from, they were pure emotion and honesty from me. I asked for help from the Holy Spirit, and I recall saying out loud, I'm doing this out of obedience, and Lord, you know that I do not mean it. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I said those words about four seconds later in prayer, my heart was changed in a nanosecond. I actually meant those words. The weight of sorrow, the weight of unworthiness, left me instantly. And I have, since that time, it's been 40 years, I have not had any hostility or any hard feelings toward her because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I never asked for a quid pro quo. I never asked that for a, as a bargain. Never forgave for those reasons. However, since that time, I have been blessed beyond my imagination because I was obedient to God. I met a, a widow in, in the adult singles, I will use that instead of prime time, 
She's a godly, a beautiful, godly woman, and married her, and we've been married for 36 years now, and it's been wonderful. But let me share with you this. Being obedient to God's command is not, command to forgive, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is purely an act of will. It's a choice. And it's a choice that the Holy Spirit will bless if we're obedient. The shackles of pain will leave you and the poison you've been drinking will be gone forever. The Holy Spirit can heal your damaged and broken heart and set you free to be your true self. Being obedient to forgive was a beautiful lesson for me and it can be for you. Thank you. Wow, thank you, Jimmy. Forgiveness is one thing. There's also times when God gives us the opportunity to reconcile a relationship. And this is Joseph's story. We've been slowly walking through Genesis 45 over the past few weeks. And Joseph had an opportunity to reconcile with his brothers who literally tried to kill him and then sold him into slavery. But I want to tell you that reconciliation is not a command. Forgiveness is. But reconciliation is not a command. It is a desired outcome. It is a work of God's grace in our life. And it's a desired outcome. And the reason why forgiveness is not a command is because it takes at least two people. I mean, reconciliation is not a command. It's because it takes at least two people for reconciliation to truly take place. We have to understand that. God is not going to hold you responsible for someone else's free will and the choices they make. But here's what we see as we close out Joseph's story in Genesis 45. Starting in verse 9. Joseph is having this conversation with his brothers, and then he says to him, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. Remember that. You and your children and your children's children, your flock, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and went up to them and wept upon them, excuse me. After that, his brothers talked with him. Joseph's story of betrayal gets to come to a close, if you will, with this particular scene. And what we see here are three marks of reconciliation. Remember, forgiveness is one thing. It is an act of the will, it is a choice, as Jimmy just told us. The Holy Spirit working in us in a powerful way to give grace to someone else. But reconciliation is something different. 
But you know that reconciliation has taken place when you see these three things that we see them right here in Joseph's life. Number one is restored proximity. Restored proximity. Where there's no longer any distance in the relationship, whether it be physical or even emotional. Notice what Joseph says. He says, please hurry, go to my father. Tell him to come. You can dwell in the land of Goshen, he says, and you shall be near me. There's a nearness now that Joseph wants with even his brothers who betrayed him because reconciliation has taken place. The second one is restored mutual provision. Restored mutual provision. That is when we once again want what's best for each other. Notice that Joseph tells his brothers in verse 11, he says, when you come, I want you to come, and there in Goshen, I will provide for you. Once again, Joseph has in mind that he wants what's best for his brothers, the very ones who threw him down that pit, the very ones who sold him into slavery. But now, reconciliation has taken place. Restored proximity, restored mutual provision. And the third one is restored mutual affection. And that is, once again, we can actually care for one another. This particular scene ends with Joseph hugging and kissing and crying with his brothers who betrayed him so long ago. Restored mutual affection. Forgiveness is something we give. Reconciliation, it's something we seek. And I don't know where you are, but I know there's a lot of people who live with some unresolved forgiveness and reconciliation in their life. And your story may be like my story. And that is, you didn't have the chance to have that conversation with someone who hurt you, someone who abandoned you, someone who walked out on you. Again, many of you know my story. I was adopted when I was 12, 1996. You can do the math. And there's a lot of things that, man, I, I wish did not happen. But I was in the process a few years ago, of trying to reconnect with my biological dad. I wanted to let him know that, hey, it's okay. God has done something amazing in my life, in Emily's life, now in our children's life. I wanted him to know everything's okay. God has done something. I wanted to tell him about this God, but I never got to have that conversation. While I was trying to organize that, he passed away one night in his sleep. And so some of you are sitting here and you're, you're kind of thinking, you know, the, the person that I need to forgive or that I would like to reconcile with is no longer with us. What I did in that moment when I realized that, I realized I was never going to get to have that conversation, is I just tried to make a list of things I was thankful for, for Randy. That was his name. Now, now don't get me wrong. I can make you a list as long as my left arm of things I was not thankful for. And I could put that in six-point font. You with me? I said, no. I'm gonna make a list of things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that he met my mom. I'm thankful that he brought me into the world. I'm thankful that he didn't fight the adoption. And I just listed out a few things. And in that moment, in listing those things out, I just said, God, I'm thankful 
There's a whole lot I'm not thankful for, but I am thankful for these things that happened through my biological dad who I really didn't get to know. And in that moment of praying that kind of prayer, there's a peace that comes in about the past. Now again, I don't know where you are. You may be in that place of it's time to give forgiveness. Like to really give forgiveness. Or you may be in that place where it's time for you to start seeking reconciliation. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But I know with, all, uh, with God, all things are possible. So I, I don't know where you are this morning. But I just want to ask you, is today your day? Is today the day where you just kind of say, you know, I, I don't want to carry this anymore? Is today the day where you say, Lord, I, I don't want to hurt from this anymore? Is today the day where you say, Holy Spirit, would you do something in me I can't do for myself? Would you help me give, truly give forgiveness? Would you help me seek reconciliation and have that hard conversation that I've been, I vowed I'd spend my life avoiding? My friends, just don't let today, at the end of this series, just come and go. Here in a few moments, we're going to get up and walk out these doors. The question is, if you have unforgiveness, or if you've not sought reconciliation, the question is, are you going to carry all that stuff back out there with you? And I love you too much to say, you don't have to. You don't have to carry it. You can actually let it go. God can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Amen? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and the band. And again, I know this is the point of the service where we go, okay, we got to get through this one more song and a few people are going to go down front. I get it. But can we just pray? As we end this series, we're going to go on to something different next week. We've all admitted for the last four weeks that we've all been betrayed. The question is, have we dealt with it? I'll ask it more specifically. Have you dealt with it? Have you really dealt with it? If you would stand to your feet. If you don't mind, bow your head. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, these up front would love to do that. But let's just ask the Lord to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves in this moment. Let's just ask the Lord to help us truly forgive so that we don't have to carry it anymore. So Lord, would you come? For those carrying pain and hurt and betrayal, Lord, may we give forgiveness today. Lord, for those who maybe have forgiven, they say, that's all I'm gonna do. Lord, may Maybe there's some things you want to restore today. So, Lord, we stand here in this moment helpless, in need of your grace. Father, I can't give what the people need today, but you can. Father, I don't have magic words. But man, how the Spirit can speak even through groans. 
So Lord, would you meet us in this moment? And would you do what we cannot? 